Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Colossians. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen. First and foremost, I'd like to thank our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory and honor goes to our risen Savior. We're so grateful and thankful that he allows us these opportunities to meet and gather together as his family. I'd like to thank everyone that faithfully serves in the ministry and supports it. If you do have a cell phone, can you please silence it? So it doesn't disturb tonight's service. And we will start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Gracious Father, thank you for allowing us this awesome opportunity, again Lord, to gather together as your family, to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and become more and more like you, Lord, and accept your ways over our ways, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for always being there for us, Lord, and always forgiving us for all our trespasses and sins, Lord, and thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit, Father. I just pray that we always remember that you love us unconditionally, Lord, so we can in turn love ourselves unconditionally, Father, and others, Lord, and we can show the lost and dying world that we really do belong to you, Lord, and just thank you for the everything you do in our lives and your generous provisions that you provide to meet our needs each and every day, Lord. I'd like to say a prayer for our great nation, Lord, that you please keep your hand upon it, Lord, for the sake of your believers, Lord, so we can witness to others and bring others into your kingdom, Lord. And I also pray for the world, Lord, that you touch the world, Lord, because you created the world, Father. And just put peace into the hearts of the leaders, Lord, so they can stop this war, Lord, and bring love and peace back into the, the world, Father. And as always, let everything we do tonight be led by your spirit, Lord, and not my flesh. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Okay, we're going to stand. Brittany's going to come up and sing. We're going to get started.
Should I turn the mic on? <laughs> the mic wasn't on. <laughs> I know, using my voice trials, right? There it is, right? <laughs> Can you hear me now? <laughs> Ain't nobody gonna fall asleep now, right? <laughs> All right. Thanks, Brett. That was a, that's a great song. I love that song. Got me through a lot of painful times in my walk with the Lord. How's everybody doing tonight? Okay? It's good to see everybody, right? Four in a row, right? Wow. We're getting a lot of spiritual food in us, right? We're getting to gain a lot of spiritual weight, right? That's the right kind of weight we need to gain, right? <laughs> All right, we're going to begin in Romans chapter 1 tonight. Mary's got it up on the board. Holy Spirit is going to be taken over, so please be attentive to that. Okay. Romans chapter 1, we're going to go back into verse 8 and bring it forward. All right. Apostle Paul speaking to the Romans. Now he's speaking to us. The written word now becomes alive and is the living word. Let me say first <clears throat> that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart or in my spirit, by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. So that's why it's so important to get together, right? We encourage each other in our faith, right? We, we need to gather. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. <clears throat> I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among the Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world. To the, excuse me, to the educated and educated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome to, to, to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God. How about a big amen for that? The power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is a beautiful right here. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith 
that a righteous person has life or the righteous will live by faith. And he's quoting Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 there. Amen. That's a great scripture, right? It says, this is all accomplished from start to finish your whole Christian life by your faith. That's it. Not by your works, but by your faith. How about a big amen for that? God says, we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for faithfulness. You stay faithful to God. He will bless your life. He will come in and make a home in your heart and bless your life. So that was great. That was a great scripture. We're going to go into the book of Colossians now, um, chapter 2. But I want to give us a brief summary about it again. <clears throat> it's always good to stay fresh with the, a summary. <clears throat> okay. Colossians was written explicitly to defeat the heresy, okay, that had arisen in Colossae, which endangered the existence of the church. While we do not know what was told to Paul, this letter is his response. We can surmise, based on Paul's response, that he was dealing with the defective view of Christ, denying his real and true humanity and not accepting his full deity. Paul appears also to dispute the Jewish emphasis on circumcision and traditions. In Colossians 2, 8-11 and 3:11. the heresy addressed appears to be either a Jewish Gnosticism or a mix between Jewish asceticism and Greek Stoic philosophy. He does a remarkable job in pointing us to the sufficiency of Christ in this book. The book of Colossians contains doctrinal instruction about the deity of Christ and false philosophies, as well as practical exhortations regarding Christian conduct, including friends and speech. The connections, as with all the early churches, the issue of Jewish legalism in Colossae was a great concern to Paul. So radical was the concept of salvation by grace apart from the works that those steeped in Old Testament law found it very difficult to grasp. Just like a lot of legalism today, they find it very difficult to grasp that it's faith alone and Christ alone. I get an amen for that. Consequently, there was a continual movement among the legalists to add certain requirements from the law to this new faith. Primary among them was the requirement of circumcision, which was still practiced among some of the Jewish converts. Paul countered this error in Colossians 2, 11 and 15, which we'll be reading, in which he declares that circumcision of the flesh was no longer necessary because Christ had come. His, his was a circumcision of the heart, okay, not of the flesh, making the ceremonial rites of the Old Testament law no longer necessary. The practical application, although Paul addresses many areas, the basic application for us today is the total and complete sufficiency of Christ in our lives, both for our salvation and our sanctification. We must know and understand the gospel so as not to be led astray by subtle forms of legalism and heresy. We must be on God for any deviation that would diminish the centrality of Christ as Lord and Savior. Any religion that tries to equate itself with the truth using books that claim the same authority as the Bible or which combines human effort with divine accomplishment and salvation must be avoided. Other religions cannot be combined with or added, or added to Christianity. 
Christ gives us absolute standards of moral conduct. Christianity is a family, a way of life, and a relationship, not a religion. A big amen for that. Good deeds, astrology, occultism, and horoscopes do not show us God's ways. Only Christ does. His will is revealed in his word, his love letter to us. We must get to know it. Big amen there, right? All right, let's go to Colossians chapter 2 now. Is everybody with me so far here? The book you have in your hand is the only book you ever need to pick up to get an understanding about life and the directions for our life. Amen? It's the owner's manual. Tells us how to live, how to act, how to think, how to serve, and how to love. All right, does anybody remember where we left off last week? No? Verse 12. You had it there? See, you're already there? All right, let's back up a little to keep the context, okay? We'll go to verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature, or the cutting away of the body of flesh. Okay, in verse 11, Jewish males were circumcised as a sign of the Jews' covenant with God in Genesis 17, verse 9 to 14. With the death of Christ, circumcision was no longer necessary. So now our commitment to God is written on our hearts, not our bodies. Christ sets us free from our evil desires by a spiritual operation, not a bodily one. God removes the old nature and gives us a new nature. How about a big amen for that? We are born again. That's exactly what it says. We're born again in the spirit. Okay, verse 12. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life. Why were we raised to new life? Because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. How about a big amen for that? All right. In verse 11 and 12, in this passage, circumcision is related to baptism. Therefore, some see baptism as the New Testament sign of the covenant, identifying the person with the covenant community. Baptism parallels the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and it also portrays the death and burial of our sinful old way of life, followed by resurrection to a new life in Christ. Remembering that our old sin, sinful life is dead and buried with Christ gives us a powerful motive to resist sin. Not wanting the desires of our past to come back to power again, we can consciously choose to treat our desires if they were, as if they were dead. Amen. Then we can continue to enjoy our wonderful new life with Christ, like it tells us in Galatians 3.27 and in Colossians 3, 1 to 4 Alright, verse 13. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Now, we're still alive, right? He says we were dead. Spiritually dead, they're talking here. You were dead because of your sins. Our sins disconnected us from God. We were dead spiritually. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, 
Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Amen, right? He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. How about a big amen for that? He took it away. The devil always wants to remind you that he's still holding them sins against you. It makes you feel weighted and buried down and still continuing in sin because of that. Okay? In verse 14, the record that was canceled contained the legal demands of the Old Testament law. The law opposed us by its demands for payment for our sins. Although no one can be saved by merely keeping that record, the moral truths that and principles in the Old Testament still teach and guide today. In 2.14, we can enjoy our new life in Christ because we have joined him in his death and resurrection. Our evil desires, our bondage to sin, and our love of sin died with him. Now, joining him in this resurrection life, we may have unbroken fellowship with God and freedom from sin. Our debt for sin has been paid in full. Our sins are swept away and forgotten by God, and we can be clean and new. For more on differences between our new life in Christ and our old sinful nature, you can go back and read Ephesians 4. As a matter of fact, we read that Sunday in service, okay? In Colossians 3 when we get to it. Okay, in verse 15. In this way, by doing what he did for us, listen what it says. He disarmed. He disarmed, or he stripped off the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them by public, publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Okay? Okay, in verse 13 to 15, before we believed in Christ, our nature was evil. We disobeyed, rebelled, and ignored God, even at our best. We did not love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. Okay? The Christian, however, has a new nature. God has crucified the old rebellious nature, like it tells us in Romans 6, 6, and replaced it with a, law, a new loving nature, as Colossians 3, 9 and 10 tells us. The penalty of sin died with Christ on the cross. Okay? God has declared us not guilty, and we no, need no longer live under sin's power. How about a big amen for that? God does not take us out of the world or make us robots. We will still feel like sinning, and sometimes we will sin. How about an amen for that? Okay, get that right. The difference is that before we were saved, we were slaves to our sinful nature. But now we are free to live for Christ, like it tells us in Galatians 2, verse 20. We are free to make the right choices and live for Christ now. Our sins no longer have to disconnect us from that, from us being able to accomplish that. How about a big amen for that? Okay, in verse 15, who are these spiritual rulers and authorities they are talking about here? Okay, several suggestions have been made about this, okay? Including one, demonic powers. Okay, two, the gods of the powerful nations. Three, angels, highly regarded by the heretical teachers. Or for the government of Rome, since Paul did not identify who these rulers and authorities were, it could be any one of them, or all four. How about an amen for that? What Christ, what Christ disarmed on the cross was any embodiment of rebellion in the world 
whether that be Satan and his demons, false idols of pagan religions, evil world governments, or even God's good angels when they become objects of worship, as in the Colossian heresy. This disarming occurred when Jesus died on the cross. Like stripping a defeated enemy of armor on the battlefield, evil no longer has any power over believers because Christ has disarmed it. Paul already had told the Colossians he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. How about a big amen for that? He disarmed all that. So it no longer has power over us. <clears throat> but we have, to, we have to keep what? Believing that truth and stand firmly in it when the demons start coming and the devil tries to tempt us into not believing that. And he does it all the time. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we had four days in a row of growing spiritually. You know it as well as I do. That helps us big time when we go out in the world, when we're spiritually strong like that. You know as well as I do, just one message is not going to give us enough fuel to fight off all the evil that comes into our life during the week. So that's why every time the doors open on the church, we should be here. Because we know that that's the only way we get our defense mechanism against it. Because <clears throat> that's what disarms it. Because it always tries to jump back off the cross, our sin nature, and back on us again. All right, look at verse 17. No, it's verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. Here's another big one. Legalism causes people to don't do this and don't do that. Especially on like as this Lenten season, they tell you, don't eat meat on Friday, don't do this, don't do that. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. All right, in verse 16, what you eat or drink probably refers to the Jewish dietary laws, okay? The festivals mentioned are Jewish holy days celebrated annually, monthly, new moon, and weekly, the Sabbath. These rituals distinguish the Jews from their pagan neighbors. Failure to observe them could be easily noticed by those who were keeping track of what others did. <laughs> Sounds familiar, right? Everybody keeps track of what other people are doing, but not keep track of what they're doing. It's easier to do that. But we should not let ourselves be judged by the opinions of others because Christ has set us free. Amen. So don't let anybody tell you, I have to do this or I have to do that. If your conscience tells you you want to do something and deny yourself, that's fine. But don't force it on someone else. That's, those are liberties in Christ. Amen? But don't tell anybody they can't do it either. Because if they feel like it's okay to do it, then they can do it. If it's to honor God, it's fine. This so it goes both ways. Some people like them traditions because it makes them feel close to God at certain times. Because, you know, most religions just teach these things once a year and they get close to God for that little bit of a time. But we get close to God every time we meet. See? So we don't really have to do it that way, you know? But if that's, if that's their traditions, let them carry. It has nothing to do with salvation. Nothing. Okay. <clears throat> Look at verse 17. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And what's the reality? And Christ himself 
Is that reality? Now listen up. All right, in these two verses of 16 and 17, Paul told the Colossian Christians not to let others criticize their diet or their religious ceremonies. Instead of outward observance, believers should focus on faith in Christ alone. Our worship, traditions, and ceremonies can help bring us close to God, but we should never criticize fellow Christians whose traditions and ceremonies differ from ours. More important than how we worship is that we worship Christ. Don't let anyone judge you. You are responsible to Christ. All right? In verse 17, Old Testament laws, holidays, and festivals pointed towards Christ. That's what they did. Paul calls them shadows of the realities that was to come. Okay? Christ himself. When Christ came, he dispelled the shadows. If we have Christ, we have what we need to know and please God. Amen? We don't have to do that to please God. Verse 18. This is another big one right here. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels. Okay, let me elaborate on that. Or worshiping with angels, saying that they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. All right, the false teachers were claiming that God was far away and could be approached only through various levels of angels. They taught that people had to worship angels in order eventually to reach God. This is what was taught, to reach God. This is unscriptural. The Bible teaches that angels are God's servants, and it forbids worshiping them in Exodus 20, verse 3 and 4, and Revelation 22, verse 8 and 9. See, that's why you've got to know your Bible. As you grow in your Christian faith, let God's word be your guide. Not the opinions of other people. How about a big amen for that? A lot of people insist that these certain things be done for them to want to come to church. But listen, it doesn't matter. You come to church to worship God and study his word. That's it. Everything else is a peripheral issue. If you want to not eat this or not drink that this week, that's fine. If you don't, if you want to eat it, you can honor the Lord with what you eat too, right? Because we thank God before we eat it. It's the same thing. We thank God if we don't eat it, and we thank God if we do eat it. What's the difference? It's all to what? Honor God. Okay. In verse 19, and they are not connected to Christ, you see? They're not connected to the Bible, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together. What holds the body of believers together? It is Christ. And what is Christ? It's the word of God. The Bible is what holds the Bible, the church together. That's, what holds, that's who Christ is, the Bible. If you're not studying, if you're not reading the Bible in the church, the church is going to fall apart. And they're going to come up with their own opinions and conclusions. We're governed by the word of God. Any church should be governed by what's in the Bible, not what we think or any human traditions. That's why there's no denominations. Really, there's not one picked out in the Bible. Those are all human. That's all humanism. And that's why people get all divided over that stuff. I'm this and I'm that and I'm this and I'm that. No, we're all believers. We believe in Jesus. That's what ties us together. Not with denomination. As a matter of fact, if it was up to me, get rid of them all. Get rid of them all and put everybody, put a, put a Bible in everybody's hand. That's a, what's your denomination? The Bible. 
That's our denomination. What denomination do you follow? The Bible. Who's the boss? The Bible. What do you live by? Faith in the Word of God. That's it. Because the Bible tells us explicitly not to let any human beings touch anything. Remember back in the Old Testament when he told them to build the temple for him? He said, don't touch the stones. Don't carve them, don't cut them, because then it'll show your nakedness, because it'll mess things up. And that's just what happens in Christianity. People make man-made traditions as commandments of God. So guess what? Leave them at the door when you come in this church. If you wanna, if you wanna do whatever you want, keep that between yourself and God, and honor God whatever way you want. We're honoring God by studying His Word and applying it to our life. That's a living sacrifice. Okay. And all right, false in verse eighteen, false teachers were claiming that God was far away and could be approached only through various levels of angels. Okay, let's go to verse nineteen. And they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Amen? The word of God is what nourishes the church body so it can grow. The fundamental problem with the false teachers was that they were not connected to Christ, the head of the body of believers. If they had been joined to him, they could have not have taught false doctrine or lived immorally. Anyone who teaches about God without being connected to him by faith should not be trusted. How about a big amen for that? All right. Okay. Look at verse 20. Now what does it say? You have died with Christ. And listen what it says. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Such as, well, let me just elaborate on it. The rules of the world are the beliefs of pagans, okay? For more information on Paul's view of non-Christian philosophies, we're going to read it more. How do, how do we die with Christ? And how are we raised with him? When a person becomes a Christian, okay, he or she is given new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's how we get, that's how we come close to him. Now look at verse 21. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise. Why do they seem wise? Here's the flesh. Because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. You could say, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that all outward, but it does not change what's in your heart, ever. You say, tell somebody you're not going to drink the coffee, all it does is start gaining power on you. And, the, and whenever you get a chance, you drink the coffee when no one's around. So now you become a sneaky sinner. So it makes you worse off than before, is what it does. You cannot conquer the sin nature in the flesh. How about a big amen for that? But people try to do that, right? That's what self-help teaches you. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Even though you still want it, just don't do it. 
God's, God's um, program is way different. He changes our desires so we don't want it anymore. Now we want the things of God, not the things of the flesh. Only God can do that. You can't do that by not doing it. You still want it when you don't. Look, when you want something and you don't do it, it just gets more stronger and stronger, the desire to have it. Instead of, instead of that, God wants to, instead of giving us our desires, he changes our desires. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Instead of doing things for yourself, we do things for God now. That's how we overcome the flesh, which is the problem all to begin with. Such rules are mere human teaching. Look what it says. All right, people should be able to see a difference between the way... Listen, listen now. People should be able to see a difference between the way Christians and non-Christians live. Still, we should not expect instant maturity in new Christians, okay? Christian growth is a lifelong process. Although we have a new nature, we don't automatically think all good thoughts and all, have all pure attitudes when we become new people in Christ. How about a big amen for that? None of us do, okay? But if we keep listening to God, we will be changing all the time, okay? As you look over the last year, what changes for the better have you seen in your thoughts and attitudes? Change may be slow, but your life will change significantly if you trust God to change you. How about a big amen for that? You know, you know when we stop, when we try to change ourselves and it doesn't happen, we start giving up and say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to trust you to do it. And then he starts to change you. How do you do it? You just simply start out growing your old nature. You, still, you just don't do the things you used to do. Now you do Bible study. You do things in the church and that. And the old stuff just disappears. You don't desire it anymore. It's like the old stuff. You don't want that anymore. You have new stuff you want now. But you don't. That's nothing to do with you. It's as you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and you start to serve the Lord, the things of your flesh start to die off. And then next thing you wake up two, three years later and say, wow. I don't even remember that anymore. I don't even do that anymore. Why? Because I'm doing things for God now instead of myself. See, you can't do both. You can't be a Christian and want the things of the world too. See, this is what Christians do. They want both. Say, I'm going to go to church, and then when I go home, I want to do the things that I used to do in my old life. So then it never dies off. What was the Christian supposed to do? Do the new things. Whatever, fellowship with other believers, right? Fellowship, read the Bible. Do other things. Call other people. Do other things. The Bible says, make no provisions for the flesh. Right? Idle hands are the what? Devil's playground, right? You go sit quiet at home. Shut the door. Just think. And you tell me what thoughts come into your mind. What comes into your mind first? It's not the things of God. It's the things of the flesh. Look, I'm starting to get bored. Should a Christian ever be bored? No, but we, the devil wants us to get bored. Look at you doing. You go to church. It's time to make the donuts. Time to go to church. It's time to go to Bible study. That's just what happens when Christians what? Start to get what? Lax. And they start to what? Get comfortable in the pew. And they stop growing. You don't stop growing. What really happens is you start going backwards now. You start to get bored with Christian stuff and you start going back and the devil puts into your mind, remember when you used to do that? How exciting it used to be? And it draws you back in. 
Be careful. The Bible warns us about lukewarm Christians. He says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. How about an amen for that? Right now, we should all be on fire for God. Look, we've got new church, new things going on. We should be jumping at the doors over here, opening up. What can I do? Ooh, 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 ooh. Should be like Horshack, right? Ooh, 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 ooh. But when your heart is not right, time is it? Is it time to go home? Uh huh. The biggest losers on at 10, 8, 9, 30. Oh, the game's on. Oh, hurry up. Let's get home. The game's coming on. That's what goes through your thoughts. When that's going through your thoughts, you know your heart is in the wrong condition. Simple fact. That's why it tells us to examine our hearts to see where we're at while we're sitting in church. Because we can get like that, right? Come on now. Let's be real. May us, not ever, may us none of us get like that because it's dangerous to go back into the flesh. Okay. Now, if we keep listening to God, we will be changing all the time. All right, in verse 20 to 23, we cannot reach up to God by following rules of pious self-denial, by observing rituals, or by practicing religion. Paul isn't saying all rules are bad, okay? But keeping laws or rules will not earn salvation, okay? The good news is that God reaches down to human beings and he asks for our response, Man-made religious focus on human effort. Christianity focuses on Christ's work. Okay? Believers must put aside sinful desires, but doing so is the byproduct of our new life in Christ, not the reason for our new life. How about a big amen for that? Our salvation does not depend on our own discipline and rule-keeping, but on the power of Christ's death and resurrection. We can guard against man-made religions by asking these questions about any religious group. Listen, now, one, does it stress man-made rules and taboos rather than God's grace? Does it foster, too, a critical spirit toward others? Or does it exercise discipline discreetly and lovingly? Three, does it stress formulas, secret knowledge, or special visions more than the word of God? Four, does it elevate self-righteousness, honoring those who keep the rules rather than elevating Christ? Five, does it neglect Christ's universal church, claiming to be an elite group? Six, does it teach humiliation of the body as means of through spiritual growth rather than focusing on the growth of the whole person? Seven, does it disregard the family rather than holding it in high regard as the Bible does? All right, to the Colossians, the discipline demanded by the false teachers seemed good. And legalism still attracts many people today. It really does. Following a whole list of religious rules requires strong self-discipline. It can make a person appear moral, but religious rules cannot change a person's heart. Okay, only the Holy Spirit can do that. Amen? What was he telling the Pharisees? Whitewashed tombs, beautiful and clean on the outside, full of what? Lawlessness and hypocrisy on the inside. That's what rules do. Okay? And, and uh, the problem that Paul was com combating in the Colossian church was similar to Gnosticism. 
Greek, for the Greek, the word of knowledge. This heresy, a teaching contrary to the Bible doctrine, undermined Christianity in several basic ways. Listen now. It insisted that important secret knowledge was hidden from most believers. Paul, however, said that Christ provides all the knowledge we need. Two, it taught that body was evil. Paul counted that God himself lived in a body. That is, he was embodied in Jesus Christ. Three, it contended that Christ only seemed to be human, but was not. Paul insisted that Jesus was fully human and fully God. Gnosticism became fashionable in the second century. Even in Paul's day, these ideas sounded attractive to many. An exposure to such teaching could easily seduce a church that didn't know Christian doctrine well. Similar teaching still posed significant problems for many in the church today, we combat heresy by becoming thoroughly acquainted with God's word through personal study and sound Bible teaching. How about a big amen for that? And that's, we're not going to fall into none of that here, are we? We know the Bible through and through, right? We actually read it from Genesis to Revelation when we're not here. Never mind when we are. And then when we are here, I help you understand it better so your personal studies grow. How about a big amen for that? It's all about the Bible here. All right, let's break into Colossians 3. Colossians is a great book. It really is. Living a new life. Living the new life. The first two chapters were about what? The theological background and the doctrine now the three and the third and the fourth chapter is all about practical application of it. Verse one. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in its place of honor at God's right hand. So what's it saying here? Since you've been raised to new life, you're born again, set your sights, or what does it mean by your sights? Your thoughts. Right? On the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Okay? In chapter 2, Paul exposed the wrong reasons for self denial. In chapter 3, he explains true Christian behavior, putting on the new nature by accepting Christ and regarding the earthly nature as dead. We change our moral and ethical behavior by letting Christ live within us so that he can mold and shape us into what we should be, like Jesus. Big amen man, right? Okay, verse 2. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. That's a problem. We think of a, problem. a lot of times we get wrapped up thinking of what's going on here. You see people talking about, oh, what's going on there in Russia, this, that, and the other thing. Listen, it ain't going to get no better down here. It's only going to get worse. Thinking about that's only going to make you miserable and what? Full of anxiety and fear and worry. But we think of what's up there. It's like this. I got no worries. This isn't my home anyway. Whatever happens down here, I'm just, a, I'm just temporary down here. My reality is going to be in heaven, not here. So when you think about that, that's all pales in comparison. Shut off the TV because it's a bunch of propaganda anyway. Nobody really knows what's going on out there. They, they want you to know. They tell you what they want you to know to what? Put fear and instill you with the government. That's just what they want you to do. Instead of thinking about, listen, God, 
God is in control. He knows everything that's going on. And He knows what's going to happen from the beginning to the end. Nobody else does. So why would you want to listen to that nonsense anyway? The Bible tells you it's only going to get worse. And then when something gets better, oh, I can't believe what's happening. Hello? It says it's going to happen. Until Jesus comes back, it's going to get worse. And then like it says before, the man of lawlessness is going to come up and look like a savior. And they're going to save this and say peace. Peace around the world. It's going to be a, a person is going to be worshipped for doing it. But he's going to be just as evil. It's going to be the devil. The devil comes as a what? Angel of light and a savior. All right, look at this in verse 2. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Look at verse 3. For you died to this life. Now listen, if you're still living the ways of the world, you haven't died to this life. That's why you can't enjoy your Christian life. You haven't died to it. You're still living in the old nature. So that's why you can't enjoy the new one. You're trying to mix it. You can't do that. It says you died to it. You have to let it go. It says, think of the things of heaven. You died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life is in the word of God. Your life is hidden there. We're under his, his, his power, his comfort. You go into the Word of God, and this is what the reality is. What's going on out there is not the reality. The reality is yet to come, and Jesus is the reality. None of this is going to get better till He comes back. So, what's to do? What are we supposed to do before He comes back? Be ready for when He does. Okay. Now, in verse three, it says, in verse two, it says, "You died to this life." Means that we should have as little desire for improper worldly pleasure as a dead person would have. And what does it mean? You died to this life. Well, a dead person doesn't get involved with all that stuff because he's dead. Does a dead person gossip? No, he's dead. Does a dead person greedy? No, he's dead. Is a dead person lustful? No, he's dead. That's why he says you died to this life. So your old sin nature is dead. When it's dead, you no longer do them things anymore because you're dead. Amen. That's what it tells you in the Bible. But when you, when you don't believe that, your flesh is very much alive and you're still operating in that and saying, but I'm a Christian. No, you're dead. You're not supposed to be talking about people anymore. Remember, I'm dead. Remember, even the mafia knows better than that. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> well, that's what a Christian should be. Dead men tell no tales. They don't want gossip, go around slandering people, go what divide churches up. No, they're dead to that kind of life. Now we're here to what? Build each other up in the spirit. The flesh is dead. You come to church, your flesh is supposed to be dead. You come here in the spirit. Everybody gets along in the spirit. In the flesh, you find problems with the church. You find problems with the people. You start complaining about this, complaining about that. When you are complaining, flesh. Flesh, flesh, flesh. Me, 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 me. Instead of saying, I'm just grateful that I'm here. Thank you, Jesus, for opening my eyes. If I gotta shiver, if I gotta, if I gotta be quiet, whatever I gotta do, I'm just thankful that I'm here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that I get an opportunity to come here. That's what you think about. You don't think about what's wrong. You think about what's right. You died to this life, and your real life is hidden with God. When you walk in the church, you're supposed to be walking into heaven. 
That's how your mentality is supposed to be when you come here. Like I'm in heaven. I just got out of the world and came into heaven. This is our earthly heaven right now. Come in here. That's why when the doors open, I can't wait to get here. It gives me a reprieve. That's why God gives us the church. He gives us the church for that reason so we don't take that nonsense and bring it into the church and start complaining and griping about everything. And talking and chapping and chipping and chapping and this, that. You're dead, remember? You're not, you are born again spiritually. So you shouldn't come to church. You should come to church spiritual, happy, joyful. Can't wait to see my brothers and sisters. Not what's bad, what's good. How about a big amen for that? If you can't say amen, say out. So you know, the next time I come to church, I'm going to keep my mouth shut unless there's something good coming out of it. I'm going to not complain anymore. Did Jesus complain when he was getting whipped for you? Did he complain when he was on the cross taking nails in for his hands for his, your sins? He didn't complain about it. No, he put his hands in, in, up to the Father say, because I love them. If you love people, you shut up and won't complain about nothing. If you hate people, it's all about you, you complain about everything. How about a big amen? Let that all happen here, because we want the people to come in here see Jesus, not the flesh. That's important. Then the pews will get full. Other than that, people are going to leave. There ain't no difference in here as it is out there. We want us to be different. See, that wasn't rehearsed, but that's the Spirit speaking to you. And if it's convicting you, good. And if you're not doing it, good. Either way, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Medicine goes down hard, but it works. Amen? After. Especially now that we're here. Right? This is, if you just take a look around, this is beautiful here. We have everything we need. Everything's provided for us. We didn't have to do anything. Just walked right in. God opened the door for us. Is there anything to complain about about here? Nothing. Thank you. I'm, sure, I'm definitely not complaining because I know where I started off, a little room with three people. This you just about fit in it to having this. And that was all Jesus. All him. I'm definitely not going to complain about it. So please, next time you feel like complaining, zip it. Please, just zip it. Don't come in here and complain to me because I really don't want to hear it. To be honest with you, I don't want to hear it. You know what I want to hear? I love Jesus. And thank you for giving me life today. Thank you. A little godly discipline that'll hurt nobody, right? Keep your mouth shut if there ain't nothing good to say. Know what's good? God is good. Everything. We woke up this morning. You have clothes on, right? You're a little chilly? Put a jacket on. Right? You've got plenty of light. You can see. You can't see it. Put some glasses on. I don't know what to tell you. There's not going to be 100%. The only time you're going to be perfectly in bliss is when we go up there. Down here, there's always going to be something to complain about. If you want to, in the flesh, instead of being joyful in the spirit, and just wait till that beautiful day comes when we can be home in the streets of gold. Amen? Amen? While we're here, let's just enjoy the trip. Just a little good godly counsel. Think about the things of heaven. We died to this life, okay? 
It means that we should have as little desire for improper worldly pleasures as a dead person would have. The Christian's real home is where Christ lives, John 14, 2-3. This truth provides a different perspective on our lives here on earth. To think about the things of heaven means to look at life from God's perspective and to see what he desires. This provides the antidote to materialism. We gain the proper perspective on material goods when we take God's view of them. It also provides the antidote to sensuality. By seeking what Christ desires, we have the power to break our obsession with pleasure and leisure activities. But it also provides the antidote to empty religiosity because following Christ means loving and serving in this world. Regard the world around you as God does, then you will live in harmony with him. What does it mean that a believer's life is hidden with Christ? Hidden means concealed and safe. That's what it means. Concealed and safe, this is not only a future hope, but an accomplished fact right now. Our service and conduct do not earn our salvation, but they are results of our salvation. Take heart that your salvation is sure, and live each day for Jesus. Amen? All right, we're going to stop there. When we pick up again, we're going to start in verse 4. We're going to close. Do you want to come up and close us tonight? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this message tonight, Lord. We are so grateful to have a place we can come and worship and glorify you, Lord. I just thank you for this group of believers, Lord, that want the same thing that you want, Lord. And I just pray that we all continue to strive in your will and your purpose, Lord. Keep us on the straight and narrow path, Lord, to keep us safe and and Lord, I just pray that we continue to come back and worship you, Lord. And I just thank you for the message tonight, Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that speaks through our pastor. Thank you, Lord. I just pray that you watch over each and every one of us tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right.